This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Death of a Mill Girl, a Josiah Bede Mystery. And our author, Clyde Lindsley, joins me from the area of Washington, D.C. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Glad to be here. This is a uh, not the first novel that you have uh, written. Uh, are they all Josiah Breed novels, or Bede no- novels? Uh, no, uh, of the four that have, have come out, three were uh, Bede novels. The first one was uh, quite a different thing entirely. This particular novel, though, is a, a mystery, obviously, by the, the title, Death yeah. of the Mill Girl. When is it set, and uh, how did you come up with the, the storyline? Well, it's set in 1836, um, 37. Uh, in uh, in New Hampshire, uh, it comes. It came about because I was uh, working for a newspaper in, in Connecticut, actually, and um, we were just we were in Hartford, which is just down the road from um, uh, a place called Old Sturbridge Village. We became uh, members of that. It's a, it's a, a living museum sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We have uh, buildings of. Uh, uh, dating from the, from the 1830s and 40s, and uh, people who uh, have studied the period and have uh, and tried to live as if they were uh, there in during that time, they learned the, the skills, you know, the crafts of blacksmith and farmer, and uh, this sort of like reenactors, in other words, uh, the, you know, like the Civil yeah. War reenactors type thing. Yeah, um, they uh, they learn what they're doing and and uh, and they do it <laughs> for people to come and and see how it was done in those days. Right. And um, the period interested me. I wanted to do another mystery. That was this was number two, um, and I was sort of interested in doing something historical. So I uh, decided on that to work with that that period and see what I could do. You have 288 pages. You mentioned that you had been in the newspaper business, so writing and, and uh, authoring was not something that was new to you, but perhaps in the uh, form that you have created here, Death of a Bill Girl. What is the the primary premise of your novel? Well, it's, it's dealing with the, um, uh, the early days of the Industrial Revolution. Um, it's in... Uh, in America, the Industrial Revolution really began in New England, and uh, it, partly because in New England, well, I had a lot of a lot of uh, streams that uh, were f- free running, and uh, it was ideal for um, a, an industry that required um, uh, water power. So um, a lot of uh, fairly early in the in the 19th century, uh, water power ran pretty much. Everything industrial New England was uh, was ideal for that, and uh, I think that had as much to do with it as anything else. 
And the textile, tec- yeah, the textile industry was a main main source of uh, revenue in the New England states, was it not? Yes, it was. Uh, it was after um, after this period. This is my book is set right at the beginning, really, of of, uh, of the industrial revolution in America. And uh, I'm not very good at this, obviously. Uh, it was uh, finally wasn't uh, wasn't uh, quite as profitable for New England as it became in the western states uh, and territories where they had lots of land and better land generally, fewer rocks. And uh, New England had had the uh, the water power, so that that's how it uh, developed really. My understanding was that some of the workers in the uh, industry were treated almost like slaves. They worked day and night. It was part of the Industrial Revolution, and your story revolves around one particular character, a girl, who was hired to work in that industry. What happened to her, and how does the story unfold? Well, she um, uh, she was uh, an Irish uh, immigrant who um, who had... Uh, come over, the, uh, the potato famine hadn't really hit at that point, but it was, but it was um, a tough life in, uh, in Ireland. Yes. Came uh, to America. She was uh, from the part of, uh, from the western part of the country and uh, had quite a bit of experience uh, weaving and, uh, and working with blue, but she wound up in, in a place where, where those skills were really not particularly useful uh, they just wanted people to run uh, to run the equipment and uh, not get their hair caught in the uh, mm. machinery uh, so uh, she wound up doing this it was fairly good pay for uh, the time because there wasn't really anything else that paid to speak of Lincoln was a farming area and uh, most of the uh, early employees were were girls in their early teens and uh, they didn't have really any other way to make money and the, the, the families could use some money that uh, you know, they, they were subsistence farms up there primarily she is killed in your story and Josiah Bede yeah. becomes a, a main character now Josiah Bede was he an investigator or what was his uh, involvement in the story uh, the body was found on his on his land he he was a, a lawyer and a farmer. Uh, in those days, nobody really did one thing. Uh, the division of labor really hadn't uh, <laughs> developed here mm. at that point. Uh, but he came back uh, from uh, a period at uh, at the uh, court and um, found her body lying in the field, and this is his field. No one else really had uh, experience uh, doing that kind of investigation. And he had had some because he'd come out of uh, New Orleans. Is he like a Sherlock Holmes uh, character, or would you describe him differently? I would have said he was a um, he was a kind of a reluctant uh, investigator in the sense that uh, he did it uh, generally because uh, there was a need for it and no one around to, to do it. Uh, he was prevailed on this case in this case by the uh, the local constable who had no experience in that at all and uh, wanted uh, wanted some help. So um, he backed into it and he backed into it again <laughs> and again um, 
later on. Was he forced to do so because he was defending his own innocence? And, and, and in, in, in the extended story, how did she die? Well, it's, um, uh, it was, she died as a, it, was a, it was a crime of passion, you might say. Um, the uh, murderer was uh, one of uh, B's neighbors, uh, also a farmer, as was essentially everybody. And uh, it, it happened because she, uh, she turned him down. He was wanting to marry her, and uh, that, that made him angry. And, you mentioned in in some of the bio sketches of uh, Josiah B that in his early days in New Orleans he was a close friend of Andrew Jackson, and had a role as an unofficial advisor during his presidency. So he had a, a he was well regarded in the South, but then left to the North to uh, I guess recoup his reputation as a, a regular citizen of the United States, the the, the States United. Uh, what is the the uh, outcome of this story. Do you have a lot of action in here? Is there, is there a story that will appeal to a broad audience? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, the people who have have read it tended to uh, to like it. Um, B was uh, was uh, thirteen or fourteen years old when uh, when uh, he left New England. Initially, he was uh, you know one of the younger. Uh, uh, Children of uh, of a New England farmer, and he uh, he and his brother uh, left to make a living for themselves. And they became peddlers, and they wound up in New Orleans. Uh, um, they wound up in New Orleans uh, selling uh, goods at about the point of the uh, when the British started uh, coming across to uh, take the city away, and uh, it was you know the battle of. During the War of 1812. Oh, yes. The end of it. And that's when he returns back to New England, and actually it was prior to the Civil War breaking out then. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Quite story takes long place time. Uh, prior to the Civil War. I wanted to try to avoid the Civil War because uh, uh, I wanted him to do uh, to be solving a mystery, and, and the murders were not... <laughs> uncommon during the wartime. This is true. Is is there an is there a message that comes through from your writing, uh, maybe an underlying theme or a moral to this story that will get people interested in buying your subsequent novels, which I understand there's uh, three or four out there. Yeah, yeah, there are three. Um, I don't usually think in terms of messages. I wanted to tell a story that I thought would interest uh, people. The Industrial Revolution started where it did because uh, some people in New England had uh, looked for something else for for New England to do, like to support itself, and uh, the, the, the conditions seemed to be right for it. There were a lot of uh, subsistence farms in the area, um, farms that made just about enough to, uh, to feed the family, and sometimes not even that. And, and there were um, children, most of them girls, available uh, to uh, take a job for, for income. And uh, they didn't expect to stay very long. It was, it was a one or two year sort of thing. Enough that you could get the money and uh, maybe save up for a trousseau if that was your interest. Or you could uh, go to school and uh, learn something else. 
Well, your novel, your novel has been described like this. Uh, Lindsley writes with a spare elegance reminiscent of Dick Francis. He builds this work to a surprise climax and offers some coolly crafted, cold-blooded incidents that keep the reader nicely chilled and on edge. That's a nice commendation. You've also been described as an outstanding mystery. This particular novel, Death of a Mill Girl. Where can my listeners get a copy of this, Clyde? Uh, it's available from, um, it's available from Amazon. It's available from a handful of, uh, of bookstores around the country. Uh, it's hard to say, uh, um, where they are because, uh, I don't know all of them myself. Well, they can, uh, they can order it from their local bookstore, I believe, if they just ask for it by name, Death of a Mill Girl, a Josiah bead mystery and under your name Clyde Lindsley L-I-N-S-L-E-Y spelling it correctly uh, Mr. Lindsley thank you so much for joining me today and uh, there are other books out there Death Spiral Death of a Mill Girl Saving Louisa Die Like a Hero so you have many in the works and many have uh, been, been been committed to print so thank you again for joining me today and sharing your story thank you yeah, I appreciate it my pleasure for iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Coloring for Dark. And our author, Linda Powers Daniel, joins me from Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Welcome to the program, Linda. Thank you, Jay. So happy to be here. Pleasure to visit with you. Your book is an intriguing title and an intriguing read because it deals with a fictional account of events that actually happened in your family and about the Appalachian Mountains. Tell me a little of that history and why you titled it Coloring for Dark. Thank you, Jay. Um, the, 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 it's set in Southern Appalachia, as you say, and it takes place from the 30s through the 70s. Uh, the story is based on my family, uh, my mother and father uh, and their marriage, and his untimely death due to murder in 1955. She suffered tragic events that led to tragic events for her children, uh, because I was six years old, my sister was four, and my uh, younger sister had not yet been born when our father was murdered. I wanted to write this book, Jay, uh, early in my life, but it was too complicated and I was not mature enough. So I decided to try to get her the facts and to 
uh, delve into it, and actually the title comes from a saying that they use there in Southern Appalachia, coloring for a dark meaning is to get in dusk outside. I thought it fit the title because the story is filled with light and dark and all the shades in between, because it does have tragedy, but it has some funny moments. It, it evokes all emotions. One thing that surprised me was your mentioning that there is a Scott, Scots-Irish influence in the Appalachian uh, Mountains area and, and the area that you are talking about in southern Appalachia. Well, uh, that's a surprise to me. Was that a surprise to you? I guess you, you grew up there, so you, you were not uh, finding that unfamiliar. I was just made aware that my father's family was Irish uh, descent, but Jay, when I started researching the book and, and actually saw the settlers that had come from Ireland and Scotland, uh, and then the influence of the religion that came to that area from Pennsylvania traveling on into southern Appalachia, Virginia, I was amazed. I thought it was very interesting. And, and just to make another point, growing up, the music that I always heard from that area it is, uh, is now the music that is Celtic in nature, and it still is with the bluegrass and with some of the older country music, and, and also the songs that are that are anonymously titled, um, like Barbara Allen. The uh, music and the uh, culture that you grew up around, what was the financial status of most of the residents of the area? financial status uh, was, uh, you would have to say, poor to, to middle class simply because coal mining was the main industry there, and if you were a professional, you're either a teacher or a banker or an attorney, but the attorneys usually were in larger cities close by. So in this small county at called Dickinson County, it's Virginia's baby county, uh, you actually um, were uh, struggling because most of the families were coal miners. And you got out the respect for their perseverance and their endurance and, and their, uh, uh, I guess you would say it was just their honor of uh, the trade that they had and bringing up their families there. And moonshining was a hobby. Moonshining was a hobby and also a necessity, Jay. Hmm. Uh, I even learned in my research that uh, even the preachers there had to sell moonshine. It was so poor after the Depression, after the... Uh, the, the 1930s Great Depression coming forward that uh, all families, even I heard that my grandmother had to sell it out to that door at, at times, and also that my father was a moonshine runner. He had the car, and he was uh, involved heavily in moonshine running and coal mining. In your story, you have weaved in the uh, fact and fiction together to create a story that uh, would appeal to a wider audience. In your research and reflecting on personal family tragedy, the the death of your dad, did you go into any detail there that is um, not blended as much fiction as it is fact? Um, actually, the the part about my father, a lot of it is blended, simply because uh, a young 27-year-old mother left a widow uh, in the circumstance that she was, uh, with a, a being pregnant with her child that was to be born five months later. Uh, she was brought from a, a, a wife of a dangerous player to a heroine in a small community. Mm. And so she was then, she became revered as salt of the earth. And, uh, so her secrets that she kept, Jake, as, as our childhood progressed were, were this, that was the reason I could not write the book. So what I had to do was, uh, even when I interviewed her, and she's now 87 years old, 
she says there are secrets that will go to my grave. So uh, I actually had to read a lot about the about murder and also about why he was murdered. But I did gather a lot of facts, and I think I blended it quite well, uh, because now she says, is that really true? <laughs> yes, uh, fascinating that your your own mother would read the book and wonder if that actually happened, and I guess uh, you have done a masterful job to do that. What would you say is the style of the story? Is it character-driven? Is it action-adventure? Is it mystery? Or is it all of the above? I think it's all of the above because the secrets that were kept in the community and our grandmother uh, came in to raise us while she went to work at, uh, at age 27. Uh, everyone uh, kind of bound together in a group and decided to protect us and not, not ever mention our father to us. So when we asked, it was always a hush. And so we were always referred to as Brady's girls, and we didn't know, we were never referred to as uh, Maggie or Mother's girls, so we didn't understand, and we knew that it was very important that we were Brady's girls, so we had to delve into this mystery and find out as much as we could, and then I blended it together with the help of my two sisters. You, you refer to the religious practices of the region. Those were diverse and also impactful on the residents. What did you discover there, and how did you share it? Well, as a small child, I was taken to the little country church uh, with my grandmother, uh, more so than my mother, before the untimely death of, I believe my mother lost a child at age three, so the, uh, three years prior to my father's death, she had that tragedy to deal with. So I was with my grandmother a lot, and we went to these country churches uh, that was named after their family, the Turner family. And uh, the preachers were usually, at that time, I believe, uh, a few of the people that could read. Hmm. So um, they had the line singing, which now I think is an art form that has been printed. Uh, the preacher or whoever's leading the songs uh, sings the, says the line in a, in a melodic cadence, and then everyone else repeats it. And then everyone um, drank out of his bucket in front of the preachers, so I think that's how a lot of germs spread and also how a lot of disease came to the area. But... Uh, as we progressed forward, my mother was excommunicated from that church because she cut her hair after my father's death uh, from mm. having it very long and beautiful to short, and that was the reason to be excommunicated from that church. And so we became Presbyterians at that time. Now, Presbyterians don't mind, didn't mind having short hair. That's correct. <laughs> you... Uh, Go, go ahead. Yes, uh, there are social issues that have remained constant when you think of the Appalachian Mountains and the uh, the residents of the hills. There is a uh, a general thought in mainstream that this is a very poor and unique culture. Uh, moonshining is certainly one that comes to mind. Are there other things that have not changed over the years? Changed uh, is the resilience of the human spirit there because they suffer flooding and, and uh, they don't live in mainstream close to modern facilities and have to travel an hour or two. But what I did find as I launched the book and went back for the tour is the graciousness and the humbleness and also the community at large has, has become more educated. There's more college degrees. Uh, there's there's more progressive action going on, and they are trying to restore the historical uh, uh, towns the way they were, uh, but only make it better. Into uh, say, for instance, the Ralph Stanley Museum, uh, 
uh, has been uh, put in Dickinson County now, and a lot of events are taking place there around music and other cultural awareness for, for the communities to participate in. Well, explain for my listeners the Great Flood of 1977, how that impacted the area. That really culminates the, the story that you've shared. Uh, that story was, yes, because I did write the story as a flashback, uh, having to come back to my uh, family's home. We had moved from the from the Backbone Ridge Mountain that I speak of where my mother lived into town when I started first grade, uh, two weeks before my father was murdered. And uh, we had only lived there two weeks, and mother paid uh, on that house for about 30 years and had it paid for for three years when in 1977... The flood totally took it off its foundation, and when I came home, it was uh, it was um, it was a tragedy. The, and the entire town was affected and had to rebuild and uh, start all over. And uh, since then, there there have been dams that have been put in and other things. But even this past winter, with the flooding and uh, I mean with the snow, flooding has been prevalent in that area again. Who's your main character in the book? In the story? Well, when I wrote it, Jay, I actually thought it was Maggie, my mother. Um, since I'm the storyteller, Laurel, uh, I think that I'm right beside of her, uh, telling her story and actually giving her a tribute to her strong uh, spiritual faith and a faith that I didn't understand uh, that uh, went into the uh, supernatural realm of spirituality. And uh, so I think that uh, it's a tribute to her, but I think that I'm probably the role model of the book. When you began to write this, I know that you had a desire to write this years for many years. Uh, your husband, who has since passed away, was also an encourager on getting this completed. When you finally decided it's time, how long did it take? Well, what had happened, Jay, was very interesting because I felt uh, I felt like around uh, 2008. Uh, that I was ready to start again. And I had notes uh, uh, that I had saved since I was 25 years old mm. because I, prom- I promised my baby sister I would have it written by the time she was 25 years old that when I got into my mother's character, it was far too complicated and secrets were far too secret uh, to to actually be able to do the book. So um, my husband uh, of uh, 25 years encouraged me to try to do an outline, and uh, and he, being a, a former reporter for the Kansas City Star when he first started in journalism, uh, liked chasing stories, so he helped me chase that story as much as we could, and I did my outline, and uh, I actually started it, but he, he said, I will not edit your book, Linda, until you're finished, and of course, I lost him in 2010, hmm. and it took me three years to write the book, so I wrote it during bereavement, actually actually wrote it during bereavement. This is a fascinating uh, tale that you have uh, crafted in Coloring for Dark. Where is your audience? I mean, who do you think will find this a uh, an intriguing read? Um, well, from the feedback I've gotten so far, Jay, I feel that, uh, and I, I've heard first of all, that people are very interested in the Appalachians. Um, and uh, in addition to that, because it is very rich, but in addition to that, I've been told that people are very nostalgic now about their past and their mothers and fathers and their grandmothers and grandfathers and that these small rural towns uh, and, and the cultural, um, uh, uh, I guess, the exposure at the time or 
or what we would say top culture that uh, actually helped, um, you know, we can say Elvis or any other uh, figure that actually came into the little corners of those small towns that helped form people's personalities and helped them want to um, decide what they wanted to be. The back of your book gives this insight at talking about the main character, Maggie, drawn home again in 1977 when a flood destroys her childhood home. Laurel must once again face the many demons of her past. She's built a new life for herself in Tennessee, one she's willing to protect. Can she avoid the traps of her past? And so the story goes. The title of the book, again, is Coloring for Dark. Our author, Linda Powers Daniel. Linda, where do we get copies of your novel? The novels are on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iUniverse. Uh, it's listed on other sites. Uh, I have a website. There's, so once that once it was launched, uh, there's other uh, websites that actually are carrying the book. Uh, so it's available uh, on Kindle. It's available on paperback and hardback. Uh, and uh, I just appreciate this interview, Jay, and uh, the, uh, the audience that will listen to it. And uh, I'm busy with the follow-up sequel to this book. Wonderful. We hope to visit with you about that when it is completed. You mentioned a website. Is that completed yet, or is it still under construction? No, I have a a website called lindapowersdaniel.com, and it's up up and running uh, as we speak. Uh, So um, anyone listening, feel free to go on there and send me uh, any kind of questions. I would love to have interaction and communicate with the audience uh, about the book because I think the resilience of the human spirit and women's issues and children's issues and marriage issues are are just as, uh, they haven't changed that much. We're still still dealing with it today. Thank you, Linda, for a powerful interview and a wonderful book, Coloring for Dark. Hope to visit with you in the near future. Thank you again for joining me. And thank you, Jay. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello everyone, I'm Clint Yates coming to you today on iUniverse Radio. An interesting topic to talk about today as we dive into another book for you today, Christianity and the Cosmic Consciousness. A Commentary on the Words of Jesus is the title of the book we're going to talk about today. It's been written by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who joins us today on the iUniverse line. Hello, Dr. Hohen. How are you today? I am fine, thank you. How are you? I am I'm doing terrific. Well, let's dive right into this. It, just your title 
uh, really brings out some curiosity in me. Christianity and the cosmic consciousness. It's com- Christianity and cosmic, cosmic consciousness. consciousness. A commentary on the words of Jesus. Tell us, a, give us just a thumbnail of, of what we're looking at in your book. Well, I uh, basically, uh, uh, the, the, the principal uh, idea here is that uh, uh, there were everything, uh, all dead and life, nature, and all of us as our innermost nature contain uh, the will to create, the will not only to be the way we are, but also to advance uh, creation. And uh, if this hadn't been the case, then uh, uh, the Big Bang could not have occurred because there is some principle, some creative principle in the world that is universal, and that is our universal innermost nature. And if we realize that, if we realize that unity of everything that exists and that we belong to it, we already have eternal life, and we also see the need to love each other. We realize our identity, and the words of Jesus guide us toward that goal uh, through preaching love and tolerance, and uh, uh, that, I believe, is the principle of Christianity. I do not contradict the dogmas of the Catholic Church or any other church, uh, because uh, what I'm writing here doesn't contradict uh, the teaching, doesn't contradict uh, the existence of a personal God, uh, but it just tries to interpret the word of Jesus uh, without assuming that there is a God ruling the world, although I personally believe that my life is somehow guided by a higher power. But this is not the subject of the book. Again, the name of the book we're talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness. The author of the book, Dr. Alexis Owen, is on the iUniverse line with us. So why did you decide to, to, to tackle this particular topic, Doctor? Well, because all my life I've been wondering, and I think most uh, uh, people uh, actually wonder about uh, what our life is all about and uh, what is the purpose of life and uh, uh, where it leads us. And actually, if we realize uh, our innermost nature, uh, which unites all of us, uh, we realize that our main goal is fulfilling this innermost nature. And uh, this is what I was trying to express uh, by writing the book and uh, actually to satisfy my own desire to understand what life is all about. Now, is there any how-to in this, Doctor, of of how you accomplish this or how you begin this in your lifestyle? Well, I've been uh, thinking about it uh, for about 50 years. In fact, uh, uh, a friend said, oh, you published a book. How long did it take you to write it? Well, I said 50 years about but as far as like the individual that picks up the book, are we going to find some, I mean, I, I understand the concept that you're talking about, I think, but is there some how-to of how to apply that to to your life or to an individual's life? In their own life, I think uh, no matter what uh, they are uh, uh, 
the, the, their individual goals and problems are. I, I think uh, that they all uh, uh, want uh, to uh, love and they all uh, want to create something and leave something behind. And uh, I think uh, the book uh, kind of explains that uh, uh, the particular desire of everybody. And I, I think that uh, in this book I talk about uh, the innermost uh, human nature, uh, the desire to love and to create, and I compare the human nature with a beam of light that has to proceed according to what it is. But of course, it is uh, uh, reflected and slowed down uh, by the media through which it passes. In the same way, our life, our ultimate goal is uh, this uh, love and creativity, and this is what is basically taught by Jesus. Uh, but we certainly encounter many obstacles. I think our... Um listeners today would be interested to know that you were actually born in Ukraine, educated in Munich, then came to the United States where you finished your education and practiced medicine. So you've kind of had a, a global kind of experience, as you as you mentioned, 50 years of putting this book yes, together. Yes, I was in, uh, born in, in Odessa in the Ukraine, and uh, I uh, uh, was uh, indoctrinated there. This was uh, in the Stalin era, and uh, I was indoctrinated with atheism uh, and uh, about how wonderful communism was. And then, of course, uh, I couldn't quite believe all that because my father was arrested and, uh, and, and shot. And that's a long story. There were 17 million people, uh, innocent mostly, arrested like that. And uh, then after uh, the German occupation, my mother and I went to live with relatives in Germany, and so I was indoctrinated there with uh, uh, National Socialism, and then, of course, the war ended, and uh, a new era started, and I uh, was now exposed to all the benefits of uh, freedom and democracy, and then we came to the United States, and so... I've been exposed to many different political systems, and uh, uh, I was exposed to different religious denominations because I uh, personally was uh, baptized Lutheran, but uh, my mother was uh, uh, Russian Orthodox, and um, then I became Catholic uh, when I uh, came to the United uh, when I got married. So uh, I've been exposed to many <coughs> different political systems and uh, religious views, and uh, it certainly makes you wonder and makes you try to find some common bond between all these things. Do you think, Doctor, somewhere in there, this is kind of an open-ended question, but does religion, in your view, fall short in any particular place when it comes to these ideas that you have in your book? Well, yes, I think that uh, particularly what I uh, find uh, uh, in the Catholic Church, I attend uh, church and uh, uh, we proclaim uh, uh, the uh, faith, uh, the, our confession of faith, and uh, it is full of all kinds of unnatural events that uh, we're supposed to believe in and uh, uh, may well be justified in believing in, but uh, there is nothing about uh, uh, 
loving your neighbor and uh, uh, sacrificing uh, uh, to your neighbor. And uh, uh, I think uh, there is definitely something lacking. And I think that the new pope has actually said that uh, when he said that uh, uh, caring for other people is more important than the dogmas uh, that the church pronounces. So is this for an individual? Do you find a place that maybe the church can turn its thinking, or is it just uh, so many centuries of religion? It might be able to turn its thinking. There has been, of course, uh, there have been movements within the church, like liberation theology, that has uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, get involved politically to become more socially conscious. I, I think that's very important, but uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. Things change very slowly, you know, in all organizations. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true. Well, what is it that you hope if someone hears this today, finds some interesting ideas that you have, when they pick up Christianity and cosmic consciousness, what is it you hope that they may walk away with? Well, I think with a more uh, with a deeper understanding of uh, of, of Christianity, and uh, I, I of course uh, it, Christian uh, teachings have been distorted a lot. Uh, one of the big problems has been that uh, uh, the person of Christ uh, has been kind of separated from uh, from his teachings, and uh, uh, for example. Uh, Several years back, you could read that Christians, uh, uh, those were, uh, I, I believe, uh, uh, Syrian phalangists, uh, uh, they, they were, they considered themselves Christians, but they slaughtered all these Muslims in a refugee camp. Uh, so this was an act by Christians because they identified themselves with Christ, but not, certainly not with his teachings. So I think that uh, if that reading this book, uh, people uh, maybe will understand that what Christ teaches, and especially uh, the sacrifice that he brings, uh, is, uh, is an example for us uh, uh, to love our neighbor and uh, that all the other things uh, that uh, churches teach, uh, many of them may well be true, uh, but they're not the essence of Christian teaching. So you mentioned this a little bit in the beginning. I don't think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trying to fly in the face of traditional religion or traditional church, but try to supplement the thinking? Is that is that your aim here? Yes, I think so. I, I, I think so. I think uh, that it would be the correct term, is uh, supplement the thinking. There is one thing, however, that uh, uh, I, uh, I, I think that uh, may be a little bit different uh, in, in my attitude and what I am trying to tell is that... Uh, uh, the church is uh, very much teaching that Christ died in order to uh, pay for our original sin. And uh, I really doubt uh, that uh, there is such a thing as an original sin. And I am uh, more inclined to believe that there is an original fault that we cannot avoid 
uh, namely that we're all one, uh, that we're all part of uh, the whole, and yet we are apart. Every individual necessarily somehow opposed to other individuals. I mean, uh, uh, the space I occupy, nobody else can occupy. Uh, the, the, the air I breathe, uh, nobody else can breathe. Uh, I have to destroy at least plants and uh, most people like myself, animals, in order to eat. Uh, and sooner or later, you are in conflict with some other person. And that's unavoidable. Uh, so this is our main problem. And uh, Jesus, by sacrificing himself, shows us that the way out of this isolation is sacrifice. And that's, I think, is a very important of Christianity that is, I think, more important than payment for this original sin of Adam. So one question before we begin to wrap up. You told me earlier before we before we started that you've written a couple of short stories, but this is really your first book endeavor, I guess, for the lack That's of a right. better term. How difficult was it, especially with uh, such an intriguing topic, to get your thoughts and get everything written? You've already told us of 50 years in the making, but I know you had to sit down with, with typewriter and our computer not so long ago and put this all together. Right, right. Well, I don't think it was too difficult. I just, uh, uh, I, I, I could collect my thoughts pretty well. I had, I've been preparing for it for a long time. Again, the name of the book we've been talking about today is Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus by Dr. Alexis Hohen, who's been with us today on the iUniverse line. So I know it's available in several places. Doctor, tell us where we could find uh, more information about the about the book. Well, I think that uh, on the uh, it's available through the outlets like Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, uh, that's uh, one thing I know. It's also available through iUniverse, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's available in bookstores right now. I hope that it will be. Again, the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Dr. Alexis Hohen has been with us today. Your first book, Doctor, What is there anything else on the burner? Are you thinking about uh putting uh, thoughts on the paper for any other topic? Well, actually, I was uh, writing, uh, actually pleasing myself. I don't <laughs> even know if I would publish it about uh, the miracles uh, of, uh, of, of, of Jesus. Uh, first of all, uh, their likelihood, uh, based on natural facts to begin with, and, and secondly, uh, uh, their symbolic meaning, which I think is very important, and uh, uh, not thought about enough. Oh, that sounds interesting as well. Dr. Hohen, thanks for being with us. Again, the name of the book, Christianity and Cosmic Consciousness, a commentary on the words of Jesus. Uh, it's available again at iUniverse. And Dr. Hohen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, too. Thank you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.